0: Well, it is National School Choice Week right now. It's January 23rd to the 27th, and um, it's time to, you know, we've done several podcasts now, celebrate all the different ways that people are figuring out how to educate their children now. And I'm really excited this morning to talk to Don Swiper of the National Micro Schooling Center. Did I get that right? Yeah, um, this is what I think is one of the coolest things that's emerged and it's not, re- people think it emerged during the pandemic, but they microschools existed before the pandemic, um, but they really took off because uh, parents were scrambling for for solutions. And I've heard about so many like unique and cool ones, but uh, what are you finding now that the pandemic's kind of winding down? First of all, tell me a little bit about the work you're doing, but what, what do you think is happening now that most kids are back in school?
1: Yeah, so pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes and caused a lot of families, millions of families around the country to just reevaluate their relationship with the institutions that they've historically relied upon to meet their educational and schooling needs. And um, you know, because of pandemic and 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 everything that that required, it 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 empowered a lot of parents and gave people the opportunity to to try new things. And I think at this point when you know things are pretty much back open, I find it's as much about other factors like their satisfaction with the way that their school systems are preparing their kids for the new economy and the gig economy. And I find particularly, you know, it's one thing to, to talk about microschools in in school choice friendly states where it's a matter of accessing school choice programs to make it as equitable as possible. On the other hand, we have amazing micro-schooling leaders in non-school choice states that are those life-changing visionary educators that you had one of in your life that used to meet in church basements and yeah. make the charter schools happen are suddenly in some states, like it's, it's like they have an outlaw status. It, it reminds yeah. me a lot of the mid eighties and the venture capital movement and being invented. And suddenly the securities and exchange commission realized that they didn't have a way to their, their whole apparatus and, and oversight just wasn't, didn't anticipate this and they needed to do things differently. Microschooling has got about a two percent market share right now. You know we- what we
0: should do? We should define micro school because we just went off and started talking about it. And let's let's let folks know who are listening. What what do you consider a micro school?
1: So first of all, the National Microschooling Center will help anybody that's a multi-family learning environment, however they identify. Okay. We work with private schools. We work with homeschool, um, cooperative arrangements. We work. There's even some great people in the public school space. If you identify as a micro school, we're more than happy to be there for you and help you we okay. try to resist and when i talk to like lawmakers even in the in the friendliest of states who are trying to put something codified in statute to make sure that micro are eligible for things like school choice programs they feel the need to do some defining and i always push back to say this thing might look very different five years from now and i especially love the hybrid elements of micro schooling so to you know we're not going to call it a micro school if it's a a bunch of homeschoolers that get together on a Thursday afternoon to go roller skating and more power to them for doing that. Yeah. It's a place for learning, but it can really be a hybrid one. The beauty of a small a small innovative learning environment, and it's permissionless in so many ways, is that like our own kids are in a micro school three days a week and follow the homeschool laws so that the other two days of the week we can do writing classes or boxing lessons or whatever it is. And really as as parents, Actively take a, an ownership of, of their education trajectory. So microschools can be anything and all of the above, but some of the best ones are not five days a week. I mean, in Nevada, most public schools aren't five days a week at this point. So yeah. it, as you push the envelope for, for um you know hybrid, right? And hybrid doesn't mean just you're learning on a computer at home some of the time and you're learning in a classroom some of the time it's not just the modality you should be able to design it around your learners so you can get your actual learning from different sources and in some ways you know the school choice movement has been in love with the accreditation process for so long Mm -hmm. it's almost like that's the problem here because Homeschooling in so many, so many places gets awful boring in high school when yeah. a family is worried that they're not going to get into college, so they subscribe to some university's accredited program, and some of those are very good, that's fine. But you lose something when you lose the ability to draw your your learning from different sources. And that's what's really exciting about this.
0: Yeah, um, what I think is really interesting that's come out of the pandemic is, first of all, parents are being surveyed all the time. They're doing these poll surveys to see like what people think today about this. But one thing that's emerged that I find to be really intriguing is that parents say they want their kids home like one or two days a week. They don't want their kids home full time. A lot of parents found out during the pandemic that was not a good fit for them to have their kids home every day of the week but they don't necessarily want them never home but they would like them to be home maybe one one day a week maybe two days a week like it sounds like that's what you do with your kids and i would never have guessed that that surprises me and also
1: i'm in a state Nevadans work very hard right and they work shifts so if you're in logistics and warehousing or you're working for the multi-state hotel casinos and you want to see your kids more Public school districts are notoriously terrible at doing it in a way that's convenient to make parents want to be a part of the process. So maybe you can run a micro school in ways that let you see your kids more or and be more involved in the work that you're doing. And that's that's I mean, we're not at we're not looking to serve every kid. We're not at, we're not looking for a 50 percent market share. We're trying to get to 10 percent. And I think we'll get there.
0: So for the most part, you have groups of families getting together, three, four, five families, and they hire their own teachers or how does it work?
1: So we see three kinds of microschools. Okay. We see independent microschools that are sort of the pandemic pods that most people are familiar with. Yeah. And they can meet in uh in storefronts, they can meet in in church basements, they can meet in in homes sometimes sometimes homes that are modified. Um there's lots of ways and they they're, they're one off, right? And it's it's a beautiful sector because it's not the charter sector, right? They don't have an incentive to grow. They want to be a certain size and be there for their families. And independent microschools are are have all shapes and sizes. Really cool. I love it because it's more like our movement is as, as much likely to be to the left as to the right. Yeah, that care more about you know we have microschooling leaders that could take the state test tomorrow and crush it, and we have microschooling leaders that care more about their social and emotional growth than they do about their academic learning, and simply patently reject state academic content standards so, and everything in between. And they're all our people. So that's independent microschools. Partnership microschools are what we did for the city of North Las Vegas. We were, um, I was in meeting with the leadership of Nevada's poorest, hardest working, fastest growing city about more traditional school choice stuff. How do we get a a career tech charter high school in North Las Vegas? When it became painfully obvious during pandemic that the fifth largest school district in the country was going to shut down and not be there for their residents. And frankly, that's an animosity. Clark County? Uh, So it's it's that classic Southern Western construct of one- of a countywide school district and the one municipality that's always been mistreated, disabused, under-resourced by that school district. So this animosity has gone on for decades. Yes. So I knew I love microschooling. I, I've never, i really kind of always doubted that charter schools were ever going to completely get microschooling to live up to its potential through no fault of the good people's own, but just the, the awkwardness and the structures that charter authorizers require it just doesn't feel like what a microschool can be at its potential. So anyway, we, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. My chief of staff and I dropped two briefing books on the city manager's desk at 9 o'clock the next morning, worked through the night, and opened up rec centers in their, opened up micro in their rec centers and libraries that were free for all residents of North Las Vegas. We donated our time, but the city used appropriated dollars. As long as those families withdrew from the school district and became homeschoolers and did things our way, and we aligned it with state content standards and worked with some amazing ed tech partners like Chris Serf and Anthony Kim. And delivered an awesome project. And then we, we, we uh, three quarters of our kids were more than two grade levels behind when they came to us. That's what you get in North Las Vegas. That's what we wanted. And some of them were substantially more than that. We worked with the Rand Corporation on a case study that, that documented that we had more than, we had two years of academic gains for all those kids. And wow. we did it just by being, yeah. I had never run a school in my, in, in my life, right? Just being real with families, getting their buy-in, taking their call at nine o'clock at night when they get off work. And just being there. And suddenly we we're getting a ton of positive press, which Nevada never gets for education. Mm -hmm. And we had 25 micro schooling leaders in our office looking to, you know, stand up micro schools and started doing more and more of it it nationally. So anyway, that's a partnership micro school where you have a host partner, which is in this case a city, but it could also be an employer or a house of worship or a professional association. Uh, We're doing Mm -hmm. one with a rural county Library in in a poor county in Nevada. We're, we're talking to police officers' associations. It's a tough time to be a cop's kid right now, and we can design something that really works for for them. Interesting. Um, working with a technical partner, our role, our nonprofit played the role of the technical partner, hired and managed a team of some amazing career educators, and our our star middle school Common Core math teacher was the guy that, that leads pyrotechnics for the Knights of the Roundtable show on the oh, bus I the love staff.
0: it. Well, wait. Where are. does your funding come from for something like that? Yeah,
1: so we fundraise all of our so
0: free to students.
1: Free. Um, okay. and in this case, it was the Valley Education Fund was terrific to us. And the city of North Las Vegas appropriated dollars to do this.
0: Wow, that's and incredible. It did it
1: totally outside of education funding streams, as you can imagine. It, I've never had more uh, had a bullseye on my back more than I did during those days. I had to like take our nonprofit website offline. I now bet. Is not the time to fight a school choice fight. Now is the time to make sure no kid gets hurt in your buildings every day.
0: Okay, so rather than fight to get funding through the state, right? You you just found another way, and
1: just succeed, right? So the state superintendent of education, who was appointed by a Democrat. Um, is a friend right we've worked together on lots of stuff so she came down she she brought her team and did a site inspection for a day and loved it to the point where a month later she we went from cease and desist letters from the attorneys general to they actually helped us hire as we were, were looking to grow so it worked really well and <laughs> That's um it's awesome there's there this is just a, a there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the school district here so these awesome. are so these are lots of families that wanted to do this, and then the third so- style, so independent partnership micro school, The third one is the partnership, um, is, is, is the is the um, is the provider networks. Okay. Uh, the the prendas, the yep. the, the um, primers, um, uh, and, and and that's a group that might, especially in the school choice friendly states, might really tackle market share and grow the fastest right now. And we just want to help all of them live up to their potential. Acton is the most famous of those wildflowers. God's got, gotten some great.
0: Brenda. So well, they use they use in school choice friendly states, they use state money. They use public money. Yeah. And if you, if I say, gosh, I really want to start a school with my um, five neighbor families, I could go to Brenda and they would help me through the process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And whatever it might be, we do we do free trainings. Like our most popular training is operational necessities. Because like people that propose charter schools, you tend to either have yeah. amazing educators or business people that don't have the education traps. So we'll we'll help you stand up. And we do also, like, as we've grown, as we've gotten some foundations behind us, we're able to do things like buy bulk learning, buy, buy every curriculum or, or learning license. Because we really think that if you're a micro school and you you really, you're in love with the Penguin and you think ST Math is going to work great for you. But yeah. come December, it's not working so well. We, we can be like... Some of the best, like the KIPP charter school networks, and we own all the curriculum, yeah. Uh, and and we can we can help. Part of it is so that um, they can make a change in December, and part of it is that this is a great sector where we have twenty five great micro schools up and going right now in Las Vegas, and kids can move around. So we want to help it so that it's so that a kid can actually move from one to the other and have their learn learning trajectory follow them, right? And the sure. um a lot of the learning providers, a lot of learning tool providers. Are set up so that you can move within one school district from one to the next, but you their business model is such that you have to start from scratch if you move into a different school district, which is just a grown up problem, like contract yeah, management. Yeah. So there's lots of ways we can help micro schools, and we're going to, you know, legal defense is something they were spending a lot of time on. Yeah. Whatever we can do to help, we'd love to.
0: I keep thinking about, uh, so in Missouri, we have almost no school choice. We have a small ESA program, maybe three or 4,000 kids could use. We have charter schools in two cities, essentially, Kansas City and St. Louis and a suburb of St. Louis now, which is brand new. Uh, really just punishment. You know, the lowest performing districts, they got punished with charter schools, and that's yeah. it. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you're driving across the state, um, almost everything in the middle between those two cities, nothing. Uh, yeah. virtual maybe. And we're we're pretty new at that. And we're trying to just get it to open up to open enrollment, just so you could go in our small rural districts, like the Nevada's got a lot of um, very small rural districts. You know, some of those small rural districts, your high school may not offer anything close to what you want to take in high school or what you need to go to college. And just letting students pick a different district, even if it means, even if it means they have to drive. And that's kind of a big deal for Missouri. But I keep thinking about you know, if you're flying a plane over Missouri and you look down from your window, you're not seeing school district lines. Those are made up. Those are completely imaginary lines. And we have uh, allowed them to become these like hard and fast. You can't create, if you cross from here to here, you know, uh, you got it's, it's like you are, are being disloyal to where you were, you know, unless you move. And I really would love to see that mindset go away.
1: Yeah. Right. And it's, you know there there are there are lots of ways to that this can look and and you know, micro schools can be incredibly popular in rurals where there're just not a lot of options, but they're yeah. just as likely to be as popular in urban spaces where the the choices that can that can benefit a family are, are few and far between. Sometimes states that aren't approving charter schools um yeah. like West Virginia or Mississippi, people that That's will right. leave that you know we can help them get out of the box with a microschooling model and if they can figure out a way to keep it sustainable or get some partnerships going so they can serve kids sustainably. And get paid themselves to yep. whatever extent that they need to. Financially um, sustainable. they you know, never go back. And maybe or maybe <laughs> you want to use it as a as a proof point or an incubator set up so that they can eventually become a, a charter school. It can work lots of ways.
0: Now I should say you were kind of a charter school guy. You were on the DC public charter school board for a while. Yeah. So you were a supporter of charter schools. You're not not a supporter of charter schools, but just this just seems like a, a innovative new way that is interesting to you.
1: I was so fortunate oh. to work with an incredible group of innovative people in D.C. We took the D.C. charter sector from a 25 percent market share to a 50 percent market share. Yeah. It's a really good innovative stuff and the highest per pupil funding in the history of the universe and some great philanthropy on top of it. And working together, we made D.C. a destination for teacher talent. Yeah. That said, lots of smart people in the charter space, for you know, for the learning games that we were getting re- reform fatigue is real and i knew that we could do better but within the constraints of the charter school system it's very difficult to yep. do with scale i'm not sure i've ever really believed in scale and education um and and when you look so wait,
0: at, explain what you mean there you
1: know so the charter school system right is set up so that you find a model and you replicate it and there's this myth there's this belief that may or may not be true that you can go to scale and. Yeah. whether it's the uncommons or the kips or, you know, th- that you can really do something that's sort of replicated in cookie cutter fashion that can really work well, maybe not for every kid, but you can produce amazing results in bulk yeah. by standardization. And the authorizers demand standardization, right? Yeah. They're, they, it's not their fault. They're just you know being responsive to state laws. But Julie Squire at Bellwether and some really smart people have, have been saying for a long time that it's really hard to, mm-hmm. to do something really innovative in the charter sector. A fight that I lost early on in charter schools was that I wanted charter schools to be able to be measured with school mission-specific measures of, of impact.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: every every charter school gets measured on the state test and that's it. Yep. And maybe it's a performing arts or a nature and ecology, or maybe faith-based is important to those families, whatever it might be, Microschools are are going to be, I mean, the impact of microschools can be measured by what parents choose that microschool to be. Yeah. And as the big guys, as the Waltons get into, you know, as the big foundations get into empowering microschooling directly, we want to make sure that those microschools can demonstrate their impact for the reasons that the parents choose them, which is not the direction that the charter sector wanted to go. So we, and what everything, so microschooling makes everything possible that we had at one point shared a vision within the the charter school sector that charter schooling could be and in fact it just went in a different direction
0: yeah i met a woman who started micro school in new york city and she did start it during the pandemic but she said that she got the parents uh, of the children in the micro school together and they spent oh hours and hours together collaboratively coming up with their curriculum standards. Whatever uh-huh. every third grader should know, uh-huh. whatever fourth grade, like they did it themselves. And these were people from all walks of life. So they didn't have backgrounds necessarily in education. And they just came up with their own curriculum standards. And that was what was important to this group of people. And I think they had to go back and revise them because uh, of the state of New York. But what, I, what I'm what i wondering is, so your students in the 25 microschools in Las Vegas, do they take the state test? They don't. So they're kind of homeschooling. huh
1: so some of them are able to operate as licensed private schools and more power to them, okay. but there are real rules on, on, on those that, for instance, accreditation, right? Is, is uh we in the school choice movement are in love with accreditation, but okay. it really, really limits your parameters because it really locks you into one provider's proprietary content. Right. And micro can be so much more than that. So, so there are compromises that some of those have to make to be registered as a private school, but it, 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 they can make it work for them. Most, m- most, um, Uh, Microschoolers in Nevada operate under homeschool laws because they're they're good homeschool laws, right? We take for granted that homeschooling is like this biblical right, but we forget that (laughs) it wasn't even really legal in this country until the 80s. And in some states, it's still pretty prohibitive where you have to get approval by some government type to school your own children. So it varies very different from framework to framework and state to state. So we at the National Microschooling Center do our best to keep track of all of that and help advise people to do the best thing for them. But at the end of the day, it's not really an accountability conversation. It's one about measuring your impact. And if you're going to put yourself in a position of taking government dollars to do what you do, you're going to need to demonstrate your effectiveness in some way. And that's an important Set
0: of yeah, I mean, that's come up as a big issue recently, like in the last couple of weeks in Missouri, because we have a very favorable homeschool law and we have a lot of homeschoolers who love it and they don't want the government interfering with what they're doing. And they're concerned that if our our scholarship programs, um, if homeschoolers participate, then they'll have to then, you know, uh, acquiesce to what the public sector wants them to do, or the government wants them to do, which I keep saying you don't have to, if you don't take the money, but if you take the money, then perhaps you will. But if you can find a way to have, you know, your, your homeschooling or micro school situation and not take public money. But I think that's kind of the kicker, right? Raising the money.
1: Right. And if there are different ways to envision this, like we talked about the partnership micro schooling, where yeah. you can maybe redefine the employer employee or the, or the local government relationship or yeah. lots of other ways to make this happen, to bring, more more new dollars in education you know and at, at a time where state education budgets are about to be really really stretched yeah a couple years about, right i mean a sector that comprises four and a half percent of overall taxpayer you know four 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 and a half percent of gdp is the overall taxpayer investment in the k-12 education and reasonable people can agree or disagree as to whether or not that's too low or too high but at the end exactly. of the day i like to say that at its present very low level of, of productivity However you measure it <laughs> yeah. comparatively, it's probably not sustainable. And that's where I think micro-schooling has a really important space.
0: Yeah. So you definitely see it growing?
1: I do. I really do believe that it can, it's if it's at about 2% now, which is about where Catholic schools are in this country, and Catholic schooling is very much a space that micro-schooling can be a great fit for. And you looked at amazing Catholic education leaders like Paula Scala in Los Angeles or Matt Shambari in Reno, there might be real opportunity for catholic micro schooling in meaningful ways but if we can if we can grow the micro schooling sector from from two percent to something like ten percent this is a sustainable movement that's here to stay and it's so diversified we have in a state with hardly any go you know, charter school leaders of color or or, or black private school leaders our micro schooling sector students and teachers are as diversified as the state overall and that's just the kind of sign that tells me this is sustainable
0: that's awesome um Do you get any pushback just out of curiosity uh, around like the social aspect that these kids are just with these same 10 kids every day and and they're going to suffer um, socially?
1: Well, in some cases, like I've got some micro schools that are the most child centered learning environment you would ever see that has no place in a charter school sector because they wouldn't allow it. So kids, when you let kids really be in charge and you let them do it in a in a social setting and multi age is totally popular, right? Like. It's not all about leveraging ed tech, right? I mean, the 1863 model of micro school is very alive and well, and and it can be multi-age and it can work really, really well. So in some senses, with the flexibility and the freedoms, you see much better social and emotional growth and, and involvement. I'm, I'm reminded that like Joe Klein in his book, when he was chancellor of New York before Pandemic talked about the Martin Buber stuff is broken. The fundamental ways that we're connecting with each other as human beings just isn't working right now. And that was before the pandemic. Right. Before to now, I think microschooling is scratching that itch and and exercising muscles that we don't get to use in most traditional schooling settings, which are a perfectly good fit for lots of families. But we're looking really for the families that are not thriving there. And and that's who's really, really thriving in the microschooling settings.
0: Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. And people are excited about it. And I think, tell me, uh, teachers are excited about it, right? Because I think teachers are get, I hear so much about un, how unhappy teachers are, and they're not paid enough, and they're asked to do too many things, and they're unhappy, and we don't have enough of them, we can't keep them. What about in the micro-schooling space?
1: Yeah, so I resist the terminology about, edu- uh, about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, right? Because- right just about everybody in the micro space could be making a lot more money doing something else. Sure. That said, they're social entrepreneurs and educators. And I also like there are people that are promising that a teacher can get paid 150% what they did in the classroom by running a micro-school. Maybe you could, if you had the right families willing to pay enough money, but that's not what we're really about either. Teachers love it because they're thriving yeah. in a situation where, I mean, survey after survey of teacher exit interviews for teachers say that it's, they're not being, trusted that their input as a professional matters in their day-to-day work yeah. that's driving people out of the profession and that's what micro schooling is all about right it's autonomy all, you know making sure what what it you know the feedback loop is real constant and flows both ways
0: so do you work with micro schools outside nevada
1: we do the national Microschooling center is active um in about half of the states right now, it's totally different. And and we get calls, our team gets calls. We got so many calls over the Do holidays. You know if you're
0: active in Missouri? Do you know?
1: We don't currently have any that we're working with. We would love to have heard about a couple of settings, but if anybody is looking to start a microschool, whatever it might be, as long as it's a multifamily learning environment, we're microschoolingcenter.org and we would love to help. And we've got lots of ways we can.
0: So the folks you don't work with are just a single family
1: right and we'll help any good people sure, who want sure, to interact sure. with their kid but as long as it's a multi-family learning environment if you're a church that's too small to have a private school you're an employer whatever it is that you want to be it's a lot of times it's it's after school clubs or, or community groups that get together and do it you really can do this and it's really convincing people that it's not a matter of joining it's a matter of building
0: yeah and do your kids love it
1: they totally love it in ways that they had just I mean, they went to the highest performing charter school in the state and they're thriving like they never did before um, yeah. because because what they think and what they say matters. And they're really taking to that role.
0: Yeah, I have another friend who started a micro school on in her backyard and uh, said her kids absolutely love it. They don't get tired of her. And uh, they like walking to school across their yard. And uh, I think that there's a lot more well, you said child centered, but there's an opportunity anyway for kids to um just be noticed and paid attention to more in that type of environment and i would guess in like north las vegas that would be one of the big benefits is no one's going to fall through a crack in a micro school right
1: right and the secret sauce is that active learner paradigm right it's kind of like what do you mean personalized learning right it's you're not gonna you know we've always we for the longest time schools get credit for measuring the wrong end of students right like you really want to get them to buy into their goals being reflective about whether they met their goals. In a micro school, we'd we'd set goals for a kid, but know that they're staying with dad that week and dad gets off work at two o'clock. So every day at 1.30, the kid's gonna get a headache. So you gotta be smart about those goals, but share together how, you know, reflect on it and and work, you know, together. So if you've got a a kid, you know, we had a lot of conversations with fifth and sixth grade parents saying, look, this you're, you're a kid, this looks like second grade work to us. And we're not insulting them. We're sitting down with them to come up with a plan to get them wherever that they want to be. And the minute that they realize that, it turns into this great, true partnership relationship that is
0: schooling at its best, but
1: that is the secret sauce that lets micro schools make the sort of gains that they do.
0: And do you have any... Have you had been doing this long enough to know like, if your students are going on to college or how are... We you- haven't been doing it for that long. Okay.
1: And, you know, most states have some mechanism for setting aside seats in higher ed institutions for kids with a homeschool track. Yep. There's lots of things that have to happen for that to be sure to succeed. On the one hand, the financial aid decisions are sometimes made completely independently of that, right? So there's that. We're working with the Mastery Transcript Consortium folks to come up with a mastery-based transcript for microschools that really can, again, measure the kid based on success doing what really matters to those kids. And that's a movement that's time has come. At one point that was a handful of smart people sitting in a room, and now it includes some of the best private schools in the country that are getting their kids into the colleges that they that they always have using mastery transcripts. So so it's tricky, but we want to ensure that kids have their doors open, right? And sometimes if a kid does want to go back into a public high school to play linebacker or play tuba, they have the opportunity to do that, too. So it's about keeping doors open. And sometimes those families are more likely to want to do something aligned with state content standards. And sometimes they're not.
0: Yeah. So but micro schools serve all kinds of kids, including kids whose parents work full time and kids who might have single parents who have like micro schools. You know, I think I homeschooled one of my kids. Only once, only one year. But there's this idea that it's these uh, religious families that spend all their time with their kids. And that's the only people who do this. Uh, But sounds like micro schools could serve all sorts of families. Not every parent has to be there every day.
1: Absolutely right. And it can look lots of different ways, right? Because if you're not wasting all the time that a kid does in most middle and high schools, you have a lot of time to work with um and maybe it's career professional stuff maybe it's its career tech stuff whatever it is maybe it's faith based stuff sometimes kids can go to different microschools whatever the whatever the arrangement understanding the needs and the evolving needs of those families and making sure that the microschool is a good fit for that and microschool sectors too are are dynamic right that a kid can move from one microschool to the next if it's the best fit and microschoolers will help do that and we work with them to help you know truly put the kids learning learning trajectory in a backpack so they actually can jump from one to the next oh, right. the way it's it's harder to you know from one school district to the next
0: i love that no, not, so, problem,
1: not kid problems
0: i sort of want to end this on more of a philosophical note you know yeah. i've been working in the school choice space a long time and have many times been accused of wanting to air quotes dismantle public education right. uh I've seen all kinds of changes uh, in how kids are educated in the last thirty years. so far, public education has yet to be dismantled. What do you think about the um the future of how our kids are educated and uh whether you know, i don't I don't want to lead you to an answer here, but like do you see that do you feel like the stuff the work you're doing, the work that all these school choice programs are doing is tearing apart public education or or where do you think we're headed?
1: we're looking to get from a 2% to a 10% market share. So we're not putting anybody out of business. But when we get criticized from school board members for complicating the life of the adult whose responsibility is to set school building level budgets and in ways that are grown up problems, right? Where these are kids that are not thriving in 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 their their classroom. So a lot of the time they're happy to let them go um, and put them in a place where they thrive and maybe they wanna come back. But when we're getting calls from significant school districts in places that school choice is pending, trying to find innovative new ways to serve their families so they don't lose those kids to micro schools. It feels like the stuff Milton, Milton Friedman predicted in 1965. It really feels like we're doing a lot of good in this way. And, and the public schools, there are so many good people fighting the good fight, and they're going to get where they need to get. But we're dealing with families that don't have time to wait two and a half generations for the public schools to get where those same okay. visionaries are going to be.
0: That's right. And I talk about this all the time, but the NHES survey tracks the percentage of kids who go to their assigned public school, and it's now down to like 66, 67%. It was 90% in the 90s, and certainly the middle of the last century, it was 90%, but it's not anymore. And we have a lot of parents who chose their school when they were kids and now they're parents. And so it's sort of building on itself. And I think, I believe we're going to end up with a much better system it's not going to be so monolithic, but I think we're just unleashing all these great ideas. The pe- people I've spoken with who have started microschools are are enthusiastic and motivated and and creative and innovative, and they're breaking down barriers and they're they're dealing with ridiculous paperwork, and they keep finding workarounds because they want it to work so badly. And I think it's I think it's great. It's energy in the system.
1: I couldn't agree more. And the people that designed the system where you start in one you know, kindergarten and, and and graduate from high school from that same system. We're going on to careers where you start one job when you, you know, when you're 22 and right retire from it when you're 55. The world is a different world right now. And so many families are finding that permissionless, non-traditional learning, innovative learning environments like this are a better match for preparing their kid for the future that their kid is not going to have, not the future that they themselves had when they sat in those seats.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, it's so great to talk to you. Uh, I hear the term microschool all the time. It's great to get enlightened on what that kind of means and to know that there's all this exciting stuff going on. I hear it anecdotally, but I'm glad to know that you guys are an organizing group and that, um, you know, if parents, again, if parents want to find you, what's your website?
1: Microschoolingcenter.org and uh, send us, there's lots of ways to like we'll ask you a couple of confidential questions like what your zip code is and what ages <laughs> of the kids you're looking to serve and a couple of basic things. And one of our teams will reach out. We'd love to help good good folks in across Missouri build build micro schools and 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 try some some stuff to let kids thrive in ways they haven't before.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Great to talk.